Welcome to the Shigon Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Fry. Today I have a very special guest, one of my old teammates. Never really called him by his first name, Reggie, but uh, only referred to him as the Hit Cat because he was one of the best hitters I'd ever seen. And not only that, he was a great teammate, great friend. Uh, we have so much in common. I'm so excited. I was telling my girlfriend today, I'm so excited about this podcast because uh, I've always been a huge Reggie Jefferson fan, so I appreciate you coming on, Reggie, and thank you. Uh, welcome to the She Gone Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I've been uh, following you on social media and loving the stuff that you do. Um, and like you said, man, we had we had a lot of fun together in Boston. Uh, I've always thought of you as a great teammate also, and um, just really enjoyed playing with you all, the whole time we were there. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and that's really what's important, Reggie, is we, I have so many relationships. This whole social media thing for me has really got me back in touch with a lot of my old teammates and, and even some guys I played against uh, you know, that were the enemy back in those days, and we've become friends, and uh, that's really in large part because of the she-gone stuff I've been doing, and uh, you know, I know, I know that you and I have never really lost touch. You live across the country for me uh, but I see a lot of your stuff on social media and you know you're making hole-in-ones and things like that <laughs> working for rock nation but uh, yeah man it's great to have you on here yeah yeah no it is it's it's um you know it's great I know like you said we both have stayed in the game and um and we're fortunate because you know I think not a week goes by that I don't think about you know when I hear a guy's name and I go man where's he at or uh, what's he doing and so the fact that we're able to stay in the game and continue to enjoy the great game of baseball, I think it's a blessing, that's for sure. Definitely. So I want to talk a little bit about you. You were born in Tallahassee, Florida. You were a three-sport star in high school. You were a third-round draft pick out of high school by the Cincinnati Reds. You made your major league debut in 1991 with the Reds, and you were traded shortly after to the Cleveland Indians. And uh, that's where I first saw you because I made my debut in 1992 in Arlington, Texas against the Cleveland Indians. And I was yeah. going back and looking at one of the, some of the videos and you were playing first base and I was on <laughs> first base. And I'm like, damn, I didn't know Reggie was there. I didn't, I didn't, you know, just yeah. some stuff like that gets by you. And then, uh, then you were traded to the Seattle Mariners for a pretty good shortstop named Omar Vizquel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, he got better yeah, yeah. He definitely got better because he couldn't hit a lick when he was with seattle and when he was with cleveland man he could do some stuff oh yeah yeah but definitely running and, and, and stealing bases and we all we all know what he could do with the glove the best i ever saw mm -hmm. yeah uh, in 1995 you signed with the red Sox, and you played with the red Sox from 95 till 99 and then 2000 you Played in Japan, but uh, I, another thing I didn't realize about you, Reggie, is that you were a switch hitter till 1994. Yeah, yep, I did, man. I uh, it's funny story uh, about that is you know when I was drafted, um, my scout Cam Bonifay, who people may know as general manager with the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, he wrote in the notes that I should only hit left-handed, and so I went out my first summer and and just bat it left-handed and uh, and I did fine with it I think I was the number two prospect in the GCL um 
some pretty good players down there, I would add. But um, Bernie Williams, uh, Juan Gonzalez, Sammy Sosa, name a few that I, I actually got voted ahead of that year. And uh, and I came home that off season and just felt like I, I wasn't done with the switch hit. And I said, man, if I should just give it a shot, you know, I feel like it's something you have to work so hard at that, you know, it's hard to give it up. And uh, in the next spring training, I went in and uh, hitting guy was a guy named Ted Glazuski, big slugger um, in the fifties. And, and Ted looked at me from the right side and he said, Hey, you know, give it a shot. He said, uh, you know, if it doesn't work out, you could always quit, you know, was what he said. I remember. And, and I did it all through the minors first four years in the big leagues. And it just got to a point that because I was a designated hitter, um, there would always be a better right-handed hitter on the team, you know, so I couldn't argue about it. It wasn't like you were putting me in for my defense at shortstop. It was, okay, who's going to be the best hitter in that DH role? So I was constantly um, not getting to do it, and that's when I decided to just go ahead and, and go left-handed full-time. But a lot of the guys I played with in Boston, they have no idea that I, I ever switch it. Yeah, because you were such a great hitter left-handed. And, and, yeah. yeah. I read something uh, – that said you couldn't hit left-handed pitching and that's a bunch of crap. And, and I don't, I, I was going to look at your splits. I don't know um, if you know what your splits are, but it was a significant difference in left-handed and right-handed. No, no. I think it's just all about the opportunity. I think, um, you know, that's what it comes down to. And that's probably where it ended up hurting me is that if I had just hit left-handed all through the minors, then it wouldn't have been, oh, this guy used to switch hit. But I think because I had been a switch hitter, there was all there was that stigma that, oh, well, don't play him against lefties or, um, you know, don't give him much opportunity. But it's it's uh, a guy like me that, you know, again, everybody knows I hit the ball from line to line. I just think that it was about getting an opportunity in the right situation. And uh, it would have been a non-issue. But again, you know, like I said, because I had that thing of, being a switch hitter at one time, you know, that was one of the negatives that kind of went with me when I stopped switch it. So, you know, I, uh, it's one of those things that you got to take the good with the bad. Harry, and, and, and you mentioned opportunity. I noticed that, uh, I forget what year it was, maybe 96 or 97, you hit 347. Hmm. Which year was that? Do you remember? Yeah, 96, 96. 347, which hmm. would have been third in the league but somehow you didn't have enough at bats. And that's crazy to me that somebody hitting 347 <laughs> can't get enough at bats to qualify. Hey, I got one crazier for you than that. Uh, that year, um, I was the last guy to get in the game for the Red Sox. <laughs> it was, you know, we had uh, Jose Caseco at DH and Movon at first. And I'm sitting over there like, you know, what's going on? And, um, we start the year and those guys are playing and I, it was probably game 16 or 17 before I even played. It was, it was crazy. And, um, and I, Kevin Kennedy, the manager, I remember coming to me once and, and apologizing going, Hey, you know, I know I got to get you in here. It may not have been that many, but it was close. I was the, I know I was the last guy, you know, one of those things you remember as a player, like, Hey, I hadn't been in the game yet. Um, and so, you know, I finally got in and, and then Jose got hurt. I started DHing. Uh, he'd come back, so I'd have to sit for a week. And then he'd get hurt again, and I'd get to play. Uh, they even brought in Kevin Mitchell was on the team, I think, that year. I don't know how the that, that roster wouldn't have flew well in today's game with all the pitchers they carried. But um, 
but all these guys were at my position and I wasn't getting to play a lot. But then when I would play, I would be on fire. And, but the guys had such big names, big regu- you know, reputations. So when they came back, I'd go back to the bench for a week. Then I'd come back for two weeks. Then all of a sudden, Mike Greenwell gets hurt, who was our left fielder, you know, was a, you know, a pretty good hitter. Um, he gets hurt. And that's when I say, man, I got to pick up a glove and go to left field. And, uh, and Kevin asked me if I'd ever played the outfield before, and I, and I hadn't. But I told him that, yeah, I did in the minors. <laughs> and, so, and so he put me out there, and, and I got, ended up getting a lot of at-bats, you know, in, in left field. But then, of course, when you got to the seventh, eighth inning, you had to put a defensive replacement in. So it was it was crazy. It was one of the weirdest years. Uh, but you're right, man. It was it, it was fun and and uh, got a chance to swing the bat. And and uh, and it was one of those years, man, where I just stayed hot no matter what. Yeah, I remember, man, you were raking. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you mentioned Kevin Kennedy and you know, I had Kevin in Texas. Um and then in Boston, he's he's the reason I went to Boston because you guys mm-hmm. were having trouble at second base with uh, Will Cordero and Manto. And honestly, I mean, I didn't really like playing for Kevin that much in Texas, but I sure loved playing for him with the Red Sox. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Um, again, he was one of those guys um, that, you know, he rewarded you if you performed. That's the one thing um, I always remembered about Kevin. You know, it wasn't about um, – you know, who you were and in the big picture, it was about if you perform for me, I'm going to play you. And and I like that, you know, and, and also always remember about him is that, you know, he didn't pull any punches about it was none of that. Everybody's treated equal stuff. <laughs> Kevin, it was like, if, if you're the, you know, if you're the superstar, I'm going to treat you that way. And, and, and guys better recognize and, and, uh, and go play. And that's one thing I just always remember. That's the way I saw it, which it wasn't a negative thing. Like I said, I, I like the fact that he was straight up, but uh, but I always say, man, the guy gave me an opportunity, you know, if because I was performing for him, he, you know, he had no choice, but he didn't, he didn't, he found ways to get me in there. Yeah, and I was actually shocked when they when they fired him that year. Oh, me too. We we yeah. had the best record in in baseball the second half. Second half, yeah, yeah, no yeah. doubt. I remember him killing us in June. We were struggling because they did have a team that was kind of mixed match, and we had some problems. And I remember him coming in one night just going off on us saying, you know, everybody's saying this team is good, but, you know, you don't win on paper. You know, we're getting close to June and you guys haven't done Jack yet. Um, and we did make some moves, you know, bringing you in. And, and, uh, and like I said, I got to play more and got hot. And, and of course, Mo was doing his thing. And we just had a good team that year, you know, but we showed it in the second half. And, and I was really shocked when they fired. Him. Yeah, I was uh, – we got a raw deal, man, because we, we could always – Every team we played for with the Red Sox, we could hit. And, and I was thinking yeah. about some of the, you know, to me, our best lineup probably was when we had Nomar leading off, Val two hole, you either the three or four, Mo the other one, and then we'd have mm-hmm. like Yummy, uh, Tim Naring, um, throw D Lou in there. We had Veritech, oh, yeah. Braggy. Yeah. Not all yeah. big household names, but. I know we hit like 280 as a team. Oh, yeah. It was tough. We had a great lineup, man. Yeah, great and, lineup. And we were facing some dudes. It's not like yeah, I keep yeah. this big argument I have all the time on, on social media is that the, the pitchers that we faced back in the day weren't any good compared to these dudes today, and I just crack no. up when I hear it. Yeah, no, I, I totally disagree with that. Totally. Um, 
you know, it's just to me, the way they teach guys to pitch now, it's easier to hit them. You know, I just think that um, I would have loved to see, see four seam fastballs all the time. That was an easy adjustment for me. Um, now, again, I think the uh, the analytics of it and the guys, um, you know, studying guys' weaknesses is really good, but there's just no way that it was easier. To, it's easier to hit today, and I watch a lot of baseball. It's just it's just not. I mean, it's, you didn't see guys forcing the ball so much, uh, going for the strikeouts, and hitters just didn't strike out. You know, we were raised to um, to cut our swings down. Um, make contact, you know, if, if we played pretty much every day and struck out a hundred times, we would get, uh, just ridiculed by the coaches and you just didn't want to do it. That was the thing, man. Can't strike out a hundred times. Um, so no, there's no way that, uh, I think the pitching is tough. I mean, I give credit to players. Players are, are bigger, stronger. Um, but the pitching's not tough. No way. No. And the guys that, that tried to throw it past us, the guys that came in, the hard throwers, we crushed those dudes. It's like, yeah. it don't matter how hard you throw it. If we're going to time it up. You keep throwing it straight over the top. We're going to time it. And the guys, <laughs> yeah. at least for me, um, the toughest guys were the right-handers, the sinker-slider guys, um, and the guys that pitched inside. It was always tough when guys pitched inside, but now I don't see people pitching inside, hardly at all. No, 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 they don't. Um You'll see more guys throwing the cutter, which is a tough pitch, but um, but they don't throw inside, and and uh, and it's just it's a big difference, you know. You just hitters don't have that fear of the guy really coming in on them like like they used to, and I think that that's a you know it's a huge component, you know, when you're pitching, you know, guys stay on the plate. You face a guy like Clemens um, or, or Nolan Ryan, they didn't they didn't give you that inside part, you know, you just weren't going to get it, so. Um, there's there's a big difference, you know. Again, I think the players are good. Don't get me wrong. I I, I enjoy uh, watching today's player. Uh, I think there's some really good players in the game, um, but I just think that uh, the way the game is went, um, you've taken away. You know, I watch a guy like Mookie Betts, who I you know I really love watching. But I was thinking the other day, there were a lot of guys like Mookie Betts when we played. Now he just he's like a unicorn, you know, just an athletic outfielder that can run, catch, and throw. Um, just doesn't doesn't exist anymore, you know. And and there's a lot of guys, you know. Devon White was a guy like that. Like, who's the Devon White of of today's game? It's crazy. No, and there was one of those dudes on every team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mike Cameron, Brian Jordan, Ray yeah. Langford. Those dudes were just supreme athletes that could do everything. Yeah. And now you just don't see those guys. Nah, nah. The game has been robbed of that, and they don't draft them. They don't try to develop them. Um, and that's a m- huge problem in, in watching the game of baseball. Like I said, I mean, you just named, you know, five guys off the top of your head that were like that. And and now we look at Mookie and go, wow, wow. But that's the way the game was played um, when we played. And, and and that's sad because it's, it's really hurting the game a ton. No, I agree. I agree. And uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was in uh, 1999, uh, was your last year in the big leagues, and I got injured partway through the season. And this is uh, going back to the opportunity thing, is I had a two-game stretch. I don't know if you remember this, uh, but we're playing Minnesota, and D. Lou, it's, it's the ninth inning. Trombley's in. We're losing 4-3. to three. 
D. Lou hits a homer to tie it in the ninth, and I hit a home run right after him, a walk-off home run to win the game. Mm-hmm. Next day, I went three for four, but something popped in my knee, and I didn't tell anybody. I was hoping the next day it would be fine, but I felt it the next morning, and I went to the field that day, and I wasn't in the lineup. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, I went seven for nine in two days. One of them a walk-off home run, with four for five, and three for four, and I can't get in the lineup? No. Yeah. And I'm in the – I'm in the. Uh, remember how horrible our training room was, but I'm in the hot tub in there, and uh, Jimmy Williams walks in, and, you know, Jimmy hits kind of quirky. I love Jimmy, but he's kind of quirky. And he goes, Frito, you got seven hits in two days, and you're not in the lineup. Stupid manager. Should have got eight, and he walked out. <laughs> I'm like, damn, that's kind of funny, Jimmy, but I mean, seven hits. Oh, yeah, it's, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. And I, you know, that year was tough on me. I mean, uh, I was kind of um, halfway being phased out. So um, you have all that. It was funny. I just thought of a story when you're telling that. Um, I remember from that um, that year, I remember, you know, I was playing probably every third day and we were in Yankee Stadium and, and I, I got a base hit. And and I can't remember who came up after me. I was somebody, I hit I hit a double, and uh, someone hit a ball to Paul O'Neill and right. You know, Paul O'Neill had a hose. Oh yeah. Uh, and it was a bang bang play. And I still have the the uh, the, the photo of me running over Joe Girardi uh, was on in Sports Illustrated the following week. Uh, but I always remember I I ran him over and the ball came out and I go back to the dugout and. And Jimmy comes up to me and he had this look on his face like, like, man, I've been screwing this guy. And he actually ran the catcher over for us. <laughs> and I, and it was, so it's it quirky things. Like you said, he would come up to you like he was in disbelief saying, good job, Reggie. And I'm thinking, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? But uh, but it was it was hilarious. man. <laughs> yeah, and I remember I, it seems to me that Dan Duquette at that point was really influencing who was playing and who wasn't. Because I know yeah. at my position, second base, they signed Offie, Jose Offerman, and he had to play because he had a four-year, $26.5 million deal. And mm-hmm. Jimmy wanted to play me, but he couldn't. Because, you know, he's going to get heat from Duquette. And that's when, like you said, for Kevin Kennedy, you grabbed a glove and started playing outfield. Jimmy says, hey, Frito, can you play? Outfield, I was like, heck yeah, Jimmy. I'd played like one game in outfield in my entire minor league career, never in the big leagues. I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem, outfield. <laughs> I just get a bigger glove and run out there, and if I don't catch it, I'll hit the cutoff, man. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm playing all over the field. Yep, yep, you did that, and that's kind of what the, a lot of guys do that today, but that wasn't the norm when we played. So I remember that. You were playing everywhere, man, because, you know, there's no doubt they needed your bat in the lineup. And, uh, and you're right, I think um, – you know, Dan was influencing the, the lineup a lot, and and uh, and we all had to deal with that. We had guys that were kind of um, halfway out the door, kind of hanging on type deal. And um, but again, I think to our credit, we all went out and played hard. Like you said, hey, I'll go play wherever I can. And and for me, I knew that uh, you know if we went in Toronto, uh, I was going to get Clements, and then I was going to sit down. Or we go into uh, Oakland, I got Tim Hudson, who was a stud young right-hander that I remember then just coming up. Uh, you know, I laugh. I hadn't played in like, uh, I think a week and a half and, and Hudson's on the mound and I'm in there 
and I go deep. And one of those uh, Jimmy sayings, I remember coming in, he looks at me, he goes, I knew you would get this guy. I knew you would get him, Rich. <laughs> one, thing, one of the things I loved about Jimmy was Jimmy wasn't afraid to go with his gut feeling. I remember we were in yeah. Toronto, and it was uh, Frank Castillo. Frank Castillo was pitching, and at that point in the season, it was pretty early. Righties were hitting terrible against Frank Castillo, like 189. So me and D. Lou and a bunch of the righties went and played golf. And we got to the field, and Jimmy calls us in the office. We're in Toronto, and he goes, he has his arm. I have to imitate Jimmy with my arms crossed. He's like, all right, the league's batting 189 against this Castillo guy. The right-handers are batting 189. So I figured, what the hell, huh? I'm going to put all the righties in there. You guys are all in there tonight. <laughs> and we're just like going, well, hell, I wouldn't have played golf today if I freaking knew I was going to play. And we went out and got 12 hits and beat Frank Castillo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I tell people all the time, man. I mean, things kind of, you know, went sideways for me um, during the time Jimmy was managing in Boston. But the guy was a great baseball man. I mean, great there's just no denying that. He knew the game. He knew the game. And, uh, and I, I always say to people, man, this guy uh, was one of the smartest baseball men I ever been around. I mean, he just he had a like you said, he had a feel for the game of baseball, and uh, it was very knowledgeable. Yeah, I, I tell people the same thing. I, I I honestly think that Jimmy Williams is the smartest baseball man I've ever been around. Mm-hmm. And I remember he told me, uh, he goes, called me and Nomar in. He goes, I'm thinking Frito. I'm thinking. Nomar's got a pretty good arm. And your arm's not bad, but it's not as good as Nomar's. So on a relay to right center, when you would normally be out as the cutoff man, why not put Nomar out there? And I'm like, all right, Jimmy, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not going to yeah. question you. You've been in the game for 40 years. And I mean, Nomar did yeah. have a hose. We've never, you took yeah. some throws from Nomar at first base, boy. You had to be, he's throwing that sinker over there, side oh, on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know he was handcuffing Mo from time to time. Mm-hmm. So I know, yeah. he, you know, I, I can't argue with you, Jimmy. No more's got an 80 arm. And I don't blame you for that. Rather him make a relay throw than me. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, yeah. we'll do. Oh, yeah. No, he, he, was, he was a smart baseball man. He, he knew it. Yeah. And so, 1999, I have a knee injury. I have to have surgery. I'm in uh, Fort Myers with Hattie, Scott Hatterberg, and. You know, it's time for, you know, I'm ready to go, and but it's approaching September 1st. And you, being an agent, and we'll talk about that in a minute, understand that um, September 1st is a big day because that's when the rosters expand. And if somebody is on the EL come September 1st, you can then use his roster spot for somebody who wasn't on the roster. And so that's what they did to me. Um, and we had the same agent, mm-hmm. speakers of sports, Jim Bronner, Bob Gahuli, Pat Rooney. And Bob decided that we would file a grievance against the Red Sox. And you know how that they view that, man. You file a grievance and you're a disgruntled employee and they're going to hose you. And my hearing, my hearing was after September 1st, so we just dropped the hearing. But what Dan Duquette did was he, and I don't, I don't know that, he used the fact that we had the same agent against you. I hope that's not true, but he kept you and I off the playoff roster. And that was the only year in my career. I'm I'm pretty sure yours too, 
where you had a chance to play in the playoffs and we didn't get to play. Yeah, well, I, I did get to play in '95, my first year okay. with the Sox. Yeah, we got we got swept by the Indians and that that bomb squad. But uh, but yeah, no, it was it was crazy, and and I uh, and it was it was a weird thing that year. You know, you reminded me something of, of before the call that I had totally forgotten until you till you said it, and and, uh, and then it came back to me. Um, you know, for me, like I told you, that last year there, I wasn't playing a ton. And I felt like at some point, why don't they just trade me or move me or, you know, somebody could use a player and they never did. So in my mind, I kept thinking, well, they're keeping me here because um, I can help them in the playoffs. You know, they're going to want that experience bad on the, on the roster when we get to postseason. So when we got to postseason and I wasn't put on the roster, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, it really surprised me um, and everything just kind of came came out. And, uh, and, and, and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I sat here, um, the entire season, not playing. Uh, and then you're not even going to put me on the playoff roster. So it was, it was tough. And, uh, uh and, and, and you never know why I remember a couple of years after I left, same scenario popped up with Mike Stanley. And I think he got moved to the Oakland A's. So I was watching that. And I remembered that going, okay, he got traded, but I had to sit there the whole time. So you never know why things are done, you know, and, and it was a tough situation, I think, for everybody. But uh, no, I, I hated not being on that roster with those guys, and um, and it's it's one of my biggest regrets. Yeah, but it was out of our control, you know. And yeah. It's mine too. When people ask, "Do you ever get to play in the playoffs?" I'm like, "Please don't remind me of that," because <laughs> you know I chose to do a certain procedure, procedural type of surgery that would speed up my recovery, so I would be eligible for the playoffs. I could have had the surgery that kept me out the rest of the year, but I didn't want to do that. And so I had that surgery and was ready to go. And next thing you know, they put Lou Merloni on the playoff roster in my place. And I'm like, damn, yeah, that was tough. Because, yeah. I mean, we were there in Boston for a while together and felt like we kind mm-hmm. of earned our stripes. And you know, one of the things about our teams that I remember was – we were together, man. We were like a family. And we had some of those meetings. I'll never forget those clubhouse meetings with Mo Vaughn. And every yeah. other word out of Mo's mouth was the F word. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, man, what happens in here? F stays in here. And you yeah. F and this, F those media. We're family. And that was true, though. We were family. Yeah, we were. We were. It was just a, a great group of guys, man. I mean, it was very diverse, you know. Um, I remember when I, you know, first got there, it was kind of Mo and, and John Valentin and and Tim Naring were kind of the guys that had come through the farm system, and 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 they were kind of the clubhouse leaders. And then, you know, little by little, of course, Clemens was there. You know, um, he's a pitcher. I don't count pitchers, <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know, you had those guys, and then and then you gradually started bringing in different guys that showed up. I think it, it like myself and Troy O'Leary and, and then you, uh, and it was just a good mix. You know, Troy and I were both quiet guys that just played and, and uh, we had our fun and, and, and just enjoyed it. But I think that helped the mix of the guys with, you had Mo and Val, Seton Hall, Jersey guys that, you know, were always in your face. Uh, you were the prankster that kept everybody loose. And, um, and it, it just was a good feeling, man. I mean, the, the fans in Boston are phenomenal. I mean, you just, I always say that a player should experience playing for the Red Sox just because the fans are, are just do or die, you know, from start to finish. 
Um, it's, it's a great place to play. Um, and like you said, I think when we were there, uh, I tell people all the time, we had a lot of talent, but ownership wasn't all in as far as putting a team out there that could really beat the Yankees. They, you know, we, they wanted to fill the seats, but not beat the Yankees. Uh, then when the new group that, you know, currently owns the team came in, it was about beating the Yankees and, and, and you saw the difference. So it's a great place to play. And, and like, you're right, man, we had a great mix. Everybody was together and, and we had love for each other. Yeah, we really did. And I mean, Mo was the Mo and his laugh on the buses and stuff. And you talk a little bit about how much fun we had on the bus rides and, and, you know, here I am little wise guy always cutting up on the bus and ragging on people. And, uh, I remember Greeny, Greeny, Mike Greenwell used to sit the front of the bus and get on the mic and just start talking smack about everybody, a lot about me. And then I'd be in the back of the bus and guys would be telling me what to say back to Greeny, like Conseco and Hasselman. And yeah. Before I say this, I'm like, all right, let's say something. Hey, Greeny, what? Why do you look like me, Ming the Merciless from Flash <laughs> Gordon? He's like, shut up, you little my three yeah. sons. And, oh, man. And then we get off the bus and go, where do you guys want to go eat? Yeah. Hang out. Oh, yeah. No doubt. I remember that when I first went over there. You're right. I, I forgot about Greenwell. He did. His seat was the first seat on the bus. And, and, and he was the ringleader, man. And we, we got back to town. He'd let everybody know. Uh, and we're headed home. And, and, uh, and it was just fun, man, playing with those guys. But I always tell people about you. When we landed, even, you know, on the road and, you know, we've all, you know, played a big series and fly in, had a few pops on the plane. And, and then when we get on that bus, that's when you used to cut loose on everybody and start ragging, man, and, and, uh, and have us all dying. It was all dying. One of my, I got to, I got to share this story. And I think you were the one behind it. It might've been you or Bill Hasselman. I remember, um, we, we, we showed up on the, on the bus and I, this had to be like in 99 and we had like, uh, you always had two buses and, um, the guys that had three plus years could get on the, the, uh, second bus. If you were, a, uh, you know, a rookie first, second year player, you're on the first bus. And I remember uh, we get on the bus and I always had that back seat, back seat on the right. And I get on the bus and I think this guy, a uh, young player, Jeff Supon, was sitting in my seat. And so I, you know, I'd been drinking coming out off the plane. I go, I go, what in the world? A rookie sitting in my seat? What is going on? And I had, and I still was thinking we were under the same rules. And so I kind of got all loud going, man, what is going on with this team? We got rookies sitting in, in, in veteran assigned, you know, seats that I've been in the whole time. And, and what, I think it was you or Hass was egging me on going, come on, Reggie, get louder. Let everybody know what's up, man. And so, so I did, I went in and the next day we walk in and, and Saberhagen had called the team meeting because he was the one who changed the rules about the bus seating and, and he was pissed off that I was uh, going off like I was, but I had no idea. And that's the type of stuff we used to do uh, with you behind all of it. And, uh, you know, it was, everything was just crazy, man. I remember him having the next day we had a meeting and he posted everybody's service time on the team. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, see, that's what these uh, these people that come after me on, uh, on social media, Reggie, they don't know that they can't get to me. They don't know that I was the prankster of every team I ever played on. And- oh, without a doubt. Not to cut you off, but that's what I tell people now. When people ask me if I know you, I go, 
this is the perfect guy to spearhead this movement because he lives for this. He lives for it. There's nothing you're going to say that's going to piss, you know, uh, get under, you're going to get under his skin, but it's just going to fire him up more. So you were the perfect guy to to lead the Shigong movement, man. And, and you're doing a great job. I appreciate it, Reg. Yeah. I remember spring training. I think we're leaving uh, for the season and we get on the bus and, you know, it was like two years or three years uh, service time for the second bus. <laughs> we get on the bus and Rudy Pemberton, did you play with Rudy or are you gone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Rudy Pemberton, who looks like an NFL linebacker, <laughs> he's got no time in the big leagues. He's on the second bus. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Stano was like, you know, our leader, one of our leaders. And I said, hey, Stano, is like, Rudy's not supposed to be on the bus. He goes, all right, I'll go talk to him. And, you know, Stano was kind of a quiet leader. And he goes and talks to Rudy. And Rudy stands up and gets in his face and goes, in, in his broken English, and goes, you don't want me on the bus? You take me off the bus. And Stano, <laughs> he turns to me. He goes, you got my back? I said, yeah, but you're going to need more than me for this dude. <laughs> like Rudy was a hoss at that. Oh, man. He was a beast, bro. He was a beast. Do you remember when we were in New York and we let we dressed up the players as superheroes? And we Rudy was in that Superman <laughs> outfit and we made him walk down about five blocks of the hotel. Yep, yep. I remember that, man. That yeah, that was, was hilarious. Rudy. He was so jacked. Oh, he was. That guy, man. I don't know if he ever lifted a weight. It was It was freakish. How strong the guy was, but he he broke a lot of bats when he got to the big leagues, though, didn't he? Oh man, he was trying to hit a halfway to home plate. <laughs> he wasn't waiting on the ball, and he was—I mean, he, yeah, he scuffled and <laughs> he really had just no approach. You could have thrown the rosin bag up there, and he'd have started. It. <laughs> yeah, man, those are some good times, man. We have fun, and, and it was like I said, it was it was it was a lot of fun, and and. Uh, and you just look back now and you get to look back at those. I mean, I could go now. We could go now all day, man, with the stories that, uh, you know, we shared in Boston. Yeah, it was a great time. So I want to talk a little mm-hmm. bit about you, about uh, you know, the type of hitter you were. You played right, right at nine years. What's your actual service time? Yeah, I think like 834, 8034. So nine seasons, but um, a little over eight years official service time. Yeah, and I'm I'm nine years and fifteen days, um, but you are three hundred mm-hmm. on the nose career hitter. Yeah. That's pretty good, Reggie. Not many people can say that. And you know, one of the oh. things I remember about you is you hit the ball like you said from line to line. You weren't trying to lift the ball. You hit some homers. I think the most homers you hit was like nineteen home runs or something like yeah. that. I think that yeah. was the year you hit 347. But, uh, yeah, yep, it was. Yeah, I did a little research on you, man. I see yeah. you working. But I remember you telling me during batting practice one day that you don't just go up there trying to hit the ball hard. You try and hit it where there's not somebody standing. And I'd never heard anybody say that. Because normally in BP, yeah. you know, you go get your, your hacks, you know, your two bunts, your hit and run, get them over, whatever, take your swings. And a lot of guys – you know, the power hitters are trying to go deep and you know, I might try to hit a couple homers in my last round off footnote mo. But for the most part, I'm trying to just see the ball, get comfortable, drive it all over the park, 
And that's the type of hitter you were. You weren't trying to hit homers, but you could hit the ball down the first baseline, one at bat, and then down the third baseline, the next at bat. And there's no way they could have shifted you. There's no possible way. And oh, yeah. I think about all that all the time, time Jeff. Yeah. I'm telling you, because I would tell people all the time, like, <laughs> if they would have shifted me, I'd have hit 350. Because yeah. we could handle the bat. We could yeah. hit the ball. People don't believe this. But I, when I tell them this, I was like, we could hit the ball where we were trying to hit it. Not all the time, but a high percentage of the time, we could actually hit the ball a certain area. I'm trying to hit the four hole. You're trying to hit one in the six hole. And it's not just hit the ball hard for this exit velocity. It's hit the ball away from the defense. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Now, I cannot remember who who taught me this. Um, I don't know if it was um, Danny Lamp. Well, I had some some old guys that were my hitting coaches in the minors. The, uh, like I said, Jim Hickman, who was an all-star, uh, you know, uh, Danny Lettweiler, Ted Glazuski. These guys were legends for people back in the, you know, 50s and 60s. But one of them taught me that before you got in the box, you should survey the field to see where the fielders are playing you. And I can't remember who it was, but it stuck with me. And, and I always did that. Before I got in the box, I surveyed the defense. And I don't think guys even are taught that now to do it. Um, but I, I would look. I wanted to know if the center fielder was playing me in left center or right center. I wanted to know where the shortstop was playing me. Um, and and that, and that just, I don't know. But again, in my mindset, I was thinking I'm going to hit the ball away from where they're playing me. Or if I get a pitch that I know I'm hitting right into them, um, I wanted that in my mind. I always laugh. Uh, I remember... And the only shortstop that ever did this, and he and I joked about it, was Derek Jeter when the Yankees, after a certain period of time, Jeter would play me um, in the deep six hole. I'd never seen a shortstop do it. I mean, he would literally stand um, halfway between shortstop position and third base deep in that hole. And I would get, if I got to second base, I'd look at him and say, man, get out of that hole. Get out of that hole. And he would say, nope, I'm not doing it. So they had, they had watched me enough to know that you could literally play this guy in that six hole and and, and move him over toward third because he'll wear it out if you throw him outside. Um, and, and that's just what I did. I mean, and again, I tried to teach myself from a young age to always survey the defense. I wanted to know where they were playing me. And I was just taught that at a young age and it stuck with me my whole career. Yeah, and I was taught the same exact thing. And if I didn't do it every at-bat of my career, which is about 2,500, um, mm -hmm. I did it damn near every at-bat. Because I, when I went up to home plate, mm -hmm. I'm looking where the third baseman's at, if he's giving me the bunt, if the first baseman is playing in the four hole, where the middle infielders are. And especially for me, a hit-and-run type of guy, um, I always looked – before I came up to the plate, when somebody was on first and I'd see which middle infielder was cheating toward second base to see if he was going to cover. So if a guy like D. Lewis hitting, who is a similar type hitter than me, and I see the <laughs> shortstop covering, uh, maybe he has a stolen base. If the guy steals, he's got the bag. And I'm like, all right, so if we put on a hit and run, the shortstop's going to cover thinking I'm going to hit to the right side. So I'm going to try and get out there and hook one in the hole. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and I, I won't say the player's name, but um, I was at a Rays game a few years ago, and this guy's a left-handed hitter. They literally 
put the shift on him. So nobody was at third and, and the team was pitching him away. And I, I could, it was the most frustrating thing I ever seen in my life that there's nobody at third and they're pitching you away. They're not pitching you in, they're pitching you away. And, and this guy would not hit the ball to third base. And I, I, I just couldn't, couldn't fathom it. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. That's a sure um, double. All you gotta yeah, do is yeah, it's unbelievable. Third. And, yeah, and there's no excuse when they're pitching you away. I can see if they're trying to jam you or something to pull in, but this was unbelievable. I was like, they know you don't want to hit the ball um, to left field. Uh, so it's it's weird. I, I do it, it, it think, though, Jeff, I will say it, um, that the shift is – and it maybe is because the hitters aren't adjusting, but the shift is costing guys uh, points on their average. I mean, I at first I was totally – I can't believe – you know, these hitters, I can't believe it, but it, it's costing. I watch a lot of games. Um, it's something that I'm glad they're getting rid of because it's just not good for the game. Um, it's made hitters have a bad approach because they're thinking, let's hit the ball over the shift. And that's just not what baseball was meant to be. It was meant to be played where, um, you know, you, you use your legs, hit the ball where it's pitched. Um, and, 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 and it's fun to watch. You know, I think that and, and then this 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 uh, clock is going to be the best thing they ever did. You know, I have clients that are in the minors and they love the clock. And and I, I know we're going to love it as fans because it's just it's going to make for a cleaner game, I think. And, and I'm it's well documented that I'm not a big fan of the commissioner of baseball um, mm-hmm. because of a lot of the rule changes. Um, yeah. I really don't don't want them to outlaw the shift. I know it's coming. Because yeah. to me, it's rewarding guys for being stubborn and not making adjustments. And I yeah, just no, think, I... Reggie, you remember, you remember Kent Qualls used to walk through the clubhouse and he would walk with his head down. He wouldn't even look left or right at any of the players. He was one of the first guys, I think, that was kind of this new generation of, uh, of the nerds in the clubhouse who were telling these players what to do. But if he'd have come up to you and said, hey, Reggie, uh, you know, with two strikes, we don't want you to – shorten up and trying to put the ball in play. We want you to keep your A swing. We don't care if you strike out. Would you have done that? No, no, there's no way I would have done it. And uh, and because that's not the way I was raised to play the game, and I know it's not right. So I'm not going to do something that I know is not right, and it's not going to make me a good player. Um, and that's, that's the problem I have with the analytics is that I think the information is great. You know, I, I want to know what a guy throws. I want to – you know, I, you know, I joke all the time that I kept my um, dummy down version of analytics in my own notebook, you know, when I went back to my hotel at night. But that's part of it is, is awesome. You know, I think the information is, is great. Um, I think the problem is um, when you just say there's absolutes, oh, you can't do this, don't do that. Um, then you're not you're, you're messing with the game of baseball. When you say don't steal, um, you shouldn't hit and run, you know. That's that's not good for the game, and it's 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 creating these players that are robots, and and it's just not a fun product to watch when you do that, do those type of things. Um, I think you got to let guys be free to play and be who they are, and and you'll get you'll get a better product. And I and I <clears throat> I agree that today's athletes are better athletes all around. They have a lot of advantages that we didn't have. They have better training, better diet. All this science stuff is, you know, if we'd have had, I mean, you remember Sunday day game, we're having two sinkers and a cup of coffee and go get them. 
We're not, yeah. <laughs> we're not getting the gourmet breakfast with protein and all this stuff. Yeah. And it's just what we did. And, but so I see that I do agree that these guys are better athletes. Yeah. There's no way they're better baseball players just because mm-hmm. we did everything it took to win a baseball game. And it didn't matter. I mean, you know for a fact that if I come up with the tie and run or the winning run on second base in the ninth with no outs, I'm going to try to do one thing get him to third, yeah. you or Mo or whoever's sitting behind me. That's it. Unselfishly, yeah. I'm moving that guy over. And you know, I hit 290 for my career, a little bit below you. But I guarantee I hit at least 50 ground balls to second base to move a runner to the third that went against my batting average. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's just what you were taught. That, you know, and, and same thing. I mean, like you said, I was a, a, a guy that was relied on the drive-in runs and, and to be the guy that uh, – was a run producer, but when I got on, when the runner was on second base, then it's, it's, it's time to pull the ball. Make sure you pull it, make sure that guy gets the third and, and, and you were just taught to do it. And it was no problem. If I was up there and first pitch was a fastball in, it might've got in on me a little bit. I was going to swing and move that guy, even though, um, you know, I was, I know that was an out, but it was, Hey, move the guy over. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's shift some where they tell guys, Hey, if you're the big guy, you got to drive him in, but Hey, you better do it to the pull side, get the runner over. So um, it's, it's, you know, you see the evolution of the game. Um, and, and I agree with you. I think these players are, they're big, strong. They train so much better than, than we did. Um, so I don't begrudge any of them, man. I just, I want the game to be, a fun game to watch. I want, um, you know, the athleticism brought back to the game. I want guys uh, to just play the game the right way. And, and, and a lot of all these strikeouts are crazy to me. I know, um, you know, Hey, there's no penalty for it. If, if you would bench some of these guys, they wouldn't strike out, but it's, it's, it's okay. And I, and I tell clients now, I say these guys will tell you, they don't care about the strikeouts. Uh, they don't care about the batting average. Um, but when it comes contract time, you don't see these guys that uh, that that aren't the elite players hitting for average. Um, they're the ones that get to go to arbitration. They're the ones who get the uh, the big dollars. So it's a it's fool's gold that players are buying into. They're not paying you if you can win there with 180 strikeouts and you hit 220. They're just not doing it. No, I agree. I agree. Now I, I want to bring in uh, uh, the producer Dave Agostino real quick. Got a question for you. Yeah, actually, for both you guys, uh, both for Reggie and Jeff, I, I've got a pretty good idea where you stand, but I want to hear you articulate it. We've got an audience in 42 countries, big grassroots following, goes all the way up to front offices. So we saw uh, Naylor the other night hit a, hit a home run off a of coal, didn't put the Indians ahead, but the, the whole rock the baby uh, where he just stared them down. I want, I want you guys to take yourselves back to when you were playing. <laughs> you probably do the same thing now, but you guys are playing – Say it's for the Red Sox. He's on your team. Comes in the dugout. How do you handle that as a teammate, uh, publicly, privately? I mean, how would you guys have handled that? You go first, Reggie. You know what I'm gonna say. Oh no! See, for me, it's unimaginable that he would ever done that when we were playing because it just, it just that wasn't the culture. It wasn't allowed. Um, so, how I would handle it when I played, I just don't even think it would have happened. But. Um, for me, um, it's one of the worst things I've seen this year. And, you know, I think Naylor, I love the guy's intensity. I think he's a good hitter. 
but there's just no place for in sports for that. I mean, I don't care if you're winning by three runs, much less losing. It's just showing up the other, the opponent um, and trying to bring attention to yourself for something that you should do. Um, and, and it's just, it's just bad. It's a bad look. Um, I cringed when I saw him doing it. That's how bad I felt about it because I hate for a guy to put himself in that position. It goes back to what I'm saying. It's fool's goal because this guy won't be able to find many clubhouses that are going to really want him. And that's the problem. And I think he, what he doesn't understand is that when you do something like that, you send the message that it's all about you and that, you know, you're not really a team guy and and that you're loose cannon. And that's what he needs to understand is that, yeah, that's fun. Cleveland is, is um, they got you now because you don't make any money. You know, you're, you're an asset to them because you're not making any money and you can hit. But now what have you done to your value around baseball when you do something like that? It's just it's it's not good. And and and, and I hope he learns from it and, and never does it again, because it's just uh, like I said, I cringed because it's, there's no place for stuff like that. I don't care at any point how much fun you want guys to have. And and, you know, nobody's watching the game because he's rocking the baby. That's not having fun. That's just showing up an opponent. And you're kind of showing who you are in a bad way to, to the rest of the baseball world. And watch, it'll it'll come back to him. Yeah, and to me it's it momentum in that. To me it screams of uh, lack of veteran leadership because mm-hmm. if somebody would have done that on the teams that I've played on, there's no question when they got back to the dugout, one of the veteran leaders on the team was going to get in his face and saying, don't do that again because – if they retaliate and hit one of your teammates, then yeah. we got a problem. And we know, Reggie, we played with a guy um, in Pedro Martinez and Roger, too. Roger oh, Clemens, yeah. But if you did that with Pedro, <laughs> our team, I mean, I remember, I remember yeah. being in Oakland and Olmedo Signs, who's a pretty good hitter, was playing for Oakland. And, I, and I, I don't know if it was Wakefield or Chris Hammond, but somebody who wasn't throwing hard threw a pitch, and he kind of stuck his knee out and got hit. And Pedro was in the dugout. He was, like, standing on the uh, the top of the dugout. And he goes, oh, you want to get hit? Okay. And he's yelling at him as he's going to first. He goes, we'll take care of that tomorrow. First AP <laughs> right in the middle of the number. <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's no doubt. The fear, I talk about this, uh, the fear that we had when certain guys were on the mound. And mm-hmm. – you just knew that you, when you got in the box, you didn't really dig in. Um, you knew that they might come inside. And especially playing with Pedro, we never knew when Pedro was going to throw at somebody. And oh. as soon as he did, the rest of us are like, oh, shit, which one of us is going to get hit now? <laughs> you remember that, Reggie? Oh, I, yeah. I remember. And yeah. you know, they like yeah. hitting little dudes like me because they don't think there's going to be any repercussions. Oh, man. And that, no, he Pedro didn't play, man. I. I remember, and I still don't know to this day if it was on purpose or not, but I took it as it was, and I love Pedro. But the first start we ever had, he ever had in spring training against the Twins, and 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 they hit me. Um, and you know, sure enough, a couple of innings later, Pedro drilled somebody, and he just set a tone. I think it was his first start ever with the Red Sox. Like, man, this guy's got your back. 
And like I said, I don't know if he hit the guy on purpose or not, but in my mind, he did. And it, it made me feel good because you knew that, you know, it's not going to be any of that stuff tolerated. And you're right. If Naylor had done that, you know, guys would have said, man, come on. But it, that is so out of the realm that, I, like I said, I can't even imagine someone doing that when we played because it just, you know, it wasn't all of this um, trying. You can't make baseball basketball. You just can't, you know, and that's what I tell people. It's a different game. Um, and you either appreciate it or you don't. And the way you appreciate it is is get people out there who can play the game the right way, um, get some athleticism in the game, steal bases, um, make it enjoyable, not by rocking the baby. That doesn't bring more fans, you know. And, again, it does the player himself no good in, in his career because he's scaring people now. And it's just – it's a bad look. It's a bad look. And karma will come and get you every time because – you saw what happened after that. Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole focused up, and and it was over. And oh yeah, yeah. You don't want to wake yeah. a, wake a sleeping giant, man. Just you know, you got to let those. If you're beating the team down, just yeah, be professional and do your business. That's it, Jeff. You're right. And and again, now he put a target on the entire team. You know where Cleveland's actually a, a great team to watch and they play hard and they've earned everything they got this year. But now we're left with with that. And then you get to see Torres rock the baby when they clinch, when the other 25 guys on that roster had nothing to do with that. Um, but now you've created this bad look for a team that should be applauded for getting as far as they did. And that's why that stuff wouldn't be tolerated when we play, because you're part of a team in baseball. It's not an individual game. You know, it's just not. And so when one guy does that, nobody goes, oh, that's Josh Naylor. Now it's his, his teammates got to face Garrett Cole. His his teammates got to win the series. Um, and, and you put pressure. You you motivate the Yankees who you might – you had on the ropes, you know, yeah. until he does something stupid like that. Yeah, and then you go play game five in Yankee Stadium, and every time you come up, the entire yeah. stadium is rooting against you. They were already rooting against you anyway, but now you yeah. just magnified it and – Exactly. And baseball's a too tough of a game to pull at. Like I said, it's not it's not football and, and basketball where the biggest, strongest and the fastest win. Um, this game will come back to bite you, man. <laughs> it's a tough game. And stuff like that just won't fly in baseball. It's too hard of a game. No, you're right. And I won't keep you much longer, Red Jack. A couple more questions for you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you taking the time today. Um, I want to get back to hitting a little bit because – I know in my career, I played 15 years um, total and had a bunch of hitting coaches, some good ones, some great ones, some not so great. We won't mention names, but uh, <laughs> um, I, never, I never had one hitting coach talk to me about my swing. Not one time did they ever even mention my swing. And uh-huh. now we see all over the social media world that there are these swing coaches and they're trying to perfect this swing like it's a golf swing or something. And I don't know. Did any of those guys ever talk to you about your swing and how you need to change your swing and maybe get more lift? Or, or did anybody even mention that to you? No, 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 not at all. And, and again, I think that, uh, you know, I see a lot of this. And this is the good guys that I see. It's almost like they're just trying to repackage something that's already been tied. And how can I change this? to get people to come listen to me and, and take money from parents, to be honest. Um, 
No, that was never talked about uh, changing your swing. Um, it's because there's certain things that a major league hitter is going to have and, and you're not going to be able to recreate that or take a kid uh, and, and make him better by having him swing up. It just doesn't, it just doesn't add up when it comes to the game of baseball. Um, you know, the way you hit a baseball is swinging down through the ball and finishing high. That's how you hit it. That's what I was taught. And that's what I believe, because that's how you're going to create backspin. Now, if you can overpower the ball, that's different. But if you uh, 99, you know, 0.5 or 9 percent of us are going to have to swing down and finish high, hit line drives, hit the ball hard, um, you know, but to try to get guys to, to, to change the swing, I think it's just a, it's a huge mistake. You're trying to tell kids that just really don't have it. Oh, do this, and it'll it'll get you there. No, it won't even get you on a college team swinging like that. Yeah, overpowered like Aaron Judge, and I'm a huge Aaron Judge fan. Yeah, uh, me too. Me because too. Because the guy is a class act, and you know he's never he never anything bad about Aaron Judge. He just broke the home run record, the American League. Huge fan of his. You can't teach me and D. Lou and Braggy yeah. to swing like that because. I can't hit the ball 500 feet in the air, then it ends up going yeah. 400 over the fence because, you know, that that bat path, the perpendicular bat path, as opposed to a, you know, a more level swing like we were taught. How many people can do that? This guy's six seven to eighty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's it. He's a freak, and it's uh, and he just and that worked for him because, you know, he was so strong that. He can miss balls and they go out of the ballpark. I, it was funny. Um, I, I know a player that's on the USF, University of South Florida's baseball team, and um, known him since he was in high school. And I just touched base with him. And we were talking, and and he said during the uh, lockout, Judge came out there to hit. He was in Tampa early, and he went out there to hit. And the coach had Judge talk to the team. And he's, he asked Judge, he said, uh, what do you do? Um what are you trying to do? And judge answer was, I'm trying to hit every ball out of the ballpark. <laughs> and that's what he, you know, he said to the college kids and, and even they were dumbfounded. Like that's, that's just so out of the realm for what they could do to be successful. And that just shows what a freak he is. You know, it's not the way he's swinging. He is a God given freak. And even that college kid said to me like, man, that did me no good, even though we love Aaron Judge. But I can't sit up there and try. He's trying to hit every ball out. He's that gifted. And that's what anybody's trying to sell Aaron Judge as a pupil. That's a mistake, you know. And I, I even go further. Um, I heard Josh Donaldson once on MLB Network tell kids, um, if your Little League coach is, is telling you to hit ground balls and line drives, he's a, it's a mistake. You Hell know, again, no. that's, a, that's a player that's – giving bad information. You know, Josh Donaldson is one of the strongest guys I've ever seen, you know, and, 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 and Josh Donaldson has had thousands of at bats to get to where he hits with a leg kick and he can hit the ball in the air. Um, and to tell kids that's a mistake, but we get an information like that sometimes from players, but, um, you know, you've got to hit line drives. You got to swing down through the ball and finish high. If you want to be a good hitter, that's, that's just the reality of it. Um, and you got all this noise out there, but I hope parents listen and, and realize. And I think some of that's starting to fade away because kids are failing, trying to hit the ball in the air. It's, it's just not going to work. Uh, but, you know, we got to fight that bad information, man. You're doing a good job of it. 
Um, and I, and I hope people listen, um, that, you know, trying to swing up, is not going to hit a baseball. Nah. And I appreciate Reggie. And I think Josh Donaldson did a huge disservice to kids when he came out with that, because like you said, I mean, he's not a very big guy, but he's got huge power. Oh, Some guys just have that. And one of the things these, a lot of these gurus talk about is just try and do what the greats did. It's like, wait a minute, Barry Bonds and Manny Ramirez and A-Rod and all these great hitters over the years, these guys are the the cream of the crop. There's not many people on earth that can do what these guys can do. And little Johnny over here who's 11 and weighs 72 pounds, he can't try to hit like Aaron Judge. He's going to fail and hit fly ball after fly ball, and he's going to get discouraged, and he's going to quit baseball. Yeah, and that's it. And that's what people have to understand. You know, I want to – you know, I want to watch good players, but I have to realize that they're so far ahead of me and I need to get a good foundation and then build on that. You know, it's like I alluded to earlier when you talk about a leg kick. You know, I tell high school players that's a dangerous thing for you to to take on at your age. You know, you're playing, you know, twice a week or you're doing a tournament here and there. A pro guy who hits with a leg kick is hitting the ball, you know, a couple hundred swings a day, 160, 180 games a year. His timing is there and he he's learned himself. So same thing. If I'm going to try to teach my kid to hit, I need to say, okay, let's get a good foundation. And then as my son grows, we can add those things, but you're not going to come right out the box and say, oh yeah, I'm going to hit the ball like Barry Bonds or, you know, Albert Pujols. And I think you find guys though, like Pujols who say, I want to stay inside the baseball and I want to hit the ball hard, you know? Yeah, but it's Phil versus real, Reg. It's video. They show what they're yeah, practicing exactly. on. Practicing on yeah. off the tee. And they say, but wait, he doesn't do this in the game. But you know what? It doesn't matter. No, in his mind, no. he his approach is, this is the way I'm going to do it. And if the game, if my swing is different, fine. But when you start teaching an uppercut, um, the kids – they're going to yeah. fail. It doesn't work. Yeah. Because, I mean, oh, no, Jeff, Jeff, I've got a, a great example of that. And, and you know, I was DH, and so I'd go back and watch my at-bats and, and study the VHS tapes back when we played. You really know, I was doing it. But, <laughs> you know, I remember, you know, I hit for, for you know, for years, and, and I started noticing in, in at-bat that I would – I'd hit a bullet up the middle and – and my back leg was coming up in the air. And I was like, what the hell? I you know, I'm trying to keep my back foot down. Um, and what, what's going on? And it dumbfounded me until I realized that, you know, that was when I finished my swing. I was coming through the ball, finishing up. That back foot would come. So when you watch video at any point, you can do anything with video to, to make it say what you wanted to say. But I was a hitter that in no way was I taking my back foot off the ground I was going through the baseball, hitting it hard. Um, but, of course, when I finished, then, boom, I'm coming through. So these guys that take that video, man, you can take that and, and do whatever you want with it. You know, it's about um, getting down through the baseball and hitting it hard. And and I can, you know, I interpret video any way I want to, to be honest. Yeah, and it's not the scissor kick. And I see some of my at-bats where a pitch away – I would have to extend and reach for so naturally because so I'm 
because I'm trying to keep my balance. My back foot might go behind me, but that was something yeah. I never practiced on. It just never. That's it. Now they're there. You go. Kids to do that, Reggie. They're teaching yeah. them to scissor. Yeah, and that's what we're dealing with. Is that I can take a video and interpret it any way I want to from any individual swing. But that's not the mechanics of the swing. And that's where we're getting these guys. That's what they're doing. You know, I may take a, a, a swing where I uh, reach for a ball. And if you broke that down, you could say, oh, this is what you do. But what about the other, uh, you know, 500 at bats? Mm-hmm. And that's not what a hitter. You need to get a foundation that works. And that's having a, a good base, uh, trying to hit the ball hard right back up the middle and hitting the ball where it's pitched. I'll advocate that until the end for me because I know it works. Um, and, and this other stuff just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, you got people out there selling it, you know, good for them. But I just hope parents understand that they're stealing your money. Yeah, it's a balanced timing rhythm, man. That's what I – and, I, you know, I was a guy who started hitting with a leg kick uh, in double A, and it gave me a little extra leverage, and I used that my whole career – Weighing 160 pounds, I didn't have a whole lot of leverage working. So, but it worked for me, and it, I know it's kind of taboo in baseball, where you know some guys can't do it, some can. But uh, it's something that worked for me, and I, I don't know why, but it just did. I encourage kids to experiment with it, but end of the day, you got to have a balanced stance, you got to have separation, you got to hit down and through the ball for kids. Yep, that's it. That's it. There's no other way, Jeff. No other way, man. Um, and I hope people listen to that and, and realize that that's how you that's how you're a good hitter. You know, and having kids do these drills to uh, emulate uh, a certain finish or this is how you're a certain movement. It, it, that's not how you hit, you know, and you're not going to rebrand or or change the way guys have hit for, you know, 100 years and think that it works because it just doesn't. Right on, right on, Reg. And last thing, Reg, before I let you go, I know you, yeah. you know, you need to get off here. Is that uh, I remember when you were first considering becoming a sports agent, you called me. I don't know if you remember this, but I, you probably called yeah. a few people because I had been a sports agent for a few years. And how many years is it now that you've been a sports agent? Oh man, it's been over ten years, Jeff. Over ten years. You started. You started with. Uh, uh, Larry Reynolds, right? No, no. Started with our former company, remember? Oh, with, oh, you started with Speakers of Sport? With SFX? Well, yeah, it was called SFX at the time, yep. Okay. So uh, Pat Rooney and Peoples and all those guys? Yeah, yeah. He uh, said Peoples. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that it? <laughs> well, it could be whatever. <laughs> what, am I saying wrong? <laughs> no, I think Peeper, Peeper, yeah. Peeper, Peeper. <laughs> yeah, I know another guy named Peoples. Yeah, the Peeper was like... Uh, I think uh, Bob Yahuli's son-in-law or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Pat's favorite guy. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, that was an ugly thing that happened. With I went with Speakers of Sports because of uh, Bronner and Yahuli. Uh, Rooney was my guy, but uh, that's another story. Yeah. But uh, oh yes, same here, same here. But you've um, you've moved along uh, in the last couple of years to Rock Nation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started with uh, Rock Nation in January. How's that going? It's going well, man. I mean, you know, I it's a it's a terrific vehicle, man, for for really 
promoting the players. Again, the young players, they really care about that. And um, so that part has been everything that I, you know, expected it, it, it to be. I feel like, you know, the way the industry was going, um, that's just becoming so much more important to the player, man. It just, you know, and, and to Rock Nation's credit, it's not all talk. You know, they have everything in place, Jeff. I mean, it's it's a great organization. Um, they will, you know, the support system is there. Uh, you got to go earn it. That'll never change in sports. You know, you got to, if you want to be the man, you got to earn it between the lines. Uh, but uh, it's been going well. I enjoy it. And so uh, when we get off here, you got to give me Jay-Z's number because I may see if I can <laughs> the podcast. But uh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's good to hear. And, um, you know, I, I'm kind of phasing myself out of the sports agent stuff. It's just so mm-hmm. cutthroat and, and heartbreaking at times, but I'm oh, glad yeah. you're doing well at it. And I would highly recommend any player that, uh, is looking for a qualified sports agent with integrity to call Reggie Jefferson. Oh, I appreciate that, man. I mean, I remember when I called you, you were, you were very honest with me and, and, uh, and like you always are. That's why I called you. Cause I know you would be. And, uh, I don't know how, I don't know any other way to be Reggie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. That's it, man. And it is, it's, it's a crazy business. Um, I enjoy it and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and you got to stay on that grind and, and I've still got a lot more to do in it, I think. So I'm, I'm excited about the future. Yeah. Now you got to learn about the NIL stuff, right? Oh, oh yeah, I'm I'm praying that it stays out of Florida where I live, but you know it's coming. <laughs> what a mess that is created in sports, man! I don't think they, don't think they thought that one out too well, but uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. well, Reggie, oh it, yeah, it is. Uh, it's been a pleasure, my but my friend, and um, yeah, you know, I'm gonna have to get you on the golf course one of these days when I get to Florida. Make <laughs> uh, a hole in one on me, but. Uh, I do appreciate you taking the time. Please tell your lovely wife I said hello. I remember a number of years ago you were on vacation and you ran into one of my friends, Ted Harris, somewhere, and he said, you guys got to talking baseball, and next thing you know, yeah. um, a buddy of mine said, hey, man, I'm, I'm in such and such with Reggie Jefferson. I'm like, oh, I love Reggie. So, that was in Jamaica. I remember that now. Yeah. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. Small, yeah. World, man. Small, Small world, man. Small world. But but no, I appreciate you having me on, Jeff, man. It's fun to always chop it up. And and I know you'll you'll kick my butt in golf, but anytime you come to Florida, let's do it. All right, man. All right, Reg. Yeah. Hang on for a second. We'll get off here. Um appreciate Reggie taking the time today. One of my favorite teammates ever. One of the best hitters I've ever played with in the game of baseball and uh, just a, a true gentleman and, and a first class guy. And uh, thanks again, Reg. I'm going to sign off. This is Jeff Fry signing off on the She Gone podcast. She Gone.